John 16, starting in verse 16, we're going to be reading up to verse 22. Can we get the PowerPoint there, Dan? Is that malfunctioning? It's not working? There's no PowerPoint. You know what? Can someone peek? I'm going to peek back there one second. Talk amongst yourselves. This is all part of the show. I feel like it's one button that you see here. I just created a PowerPoint in 30 seconds, so we didn't have one, and now we have one. No, we're just Anyways, we'll reboot there a little bit, but uh, glad you're here. Open your Bibles to John 16. We're going to start in verse 16 and read up to verse 22. Of course, before we get there, I do have a question for you. Did you ever look forward to something special? Did you ever look into the future and forward to something that was coming that was special? Well, I'm going to give you my top 10 things that kids hate, but adults look forward to. Now think about that in your mind. What would be on your top 10? 10 things that maybe you hated as a kid, or people like my children hate right now, but things that I look forward to. I'm going to give you my top 10 of those. Here's number 10. This one should be obvious, naps. Now when I was little, my pet peeve literally for a school project was naps. We were supposed to draw our pet peeve on a piece of paper, and I said, I hate when my mom takes or makes me take naps because I wasn't tired back in the day. Now I'm tired and I have seven kids and now naps are my love language. If you want to love me, let me take a nap. Top, top 10 thing I look forward to. Here's number nine. We also do this very, very well at Wyoming Valley Church. Kids hate this, but adults, we love our coffee, do we not? Coffee is something we really look forward to. I asked Cat if he would ever drink coffee. He said, probably not. Or maybe when I'm really old. One of the two answers. Like 20. So uh, coffee is one of those things. Back in the day, I really hated coffee. I despised it. I couldn't understand why adults would drink such a thing. And now I'm just looking for more coffee. Please give me, bring more right now. Here's number eight. Things that kids hate but adults look forward to would be steak and lobster dinner. Now, I asked my son to look at that picture and tell me his words. And he said, ew, Gross. But if someone was going to take you out for a steak and lobster dinner, wouldn't that be yummy as an adult? Yeah, back as a kid, though, you'd ask for the chicken tenders or the mac and cheese. No thank you to the steak and lobster dinner. Here's number seven. This one's a little tongue-in-cheek, but kids hate this. This is like the worst thing for a kid. But for adults, we kind of like it. It's boredom. If you have a busy life, which I do, boredom is not a bad thing. When you have nothing to do and you have to fill your time, that's not a bad thing. I look forward to boredom. That's what my kids look like, though. I can tell when it's happening, too. I can see it coming. I'm like, they're getting bored. It's winter. It's January. They're getting bored. What do we do? Here's number six, of course. It depends how you look at this one. But uh, school. Now, I like that picture because the dad is cheering, and you can see all the doom and gloom on the children's faces. Now, I don't, of course, mean adults going to school. We still wouldn't like that. But adults who send their children to school... That's a totally different thing because they get a free house. Teasing a little bit. But uh, we look forward to school and the kids do not. Here's number five. This just kind of happened. Kids look forward to Christmas, right? Christmas is one of the best times of the year. They look forward to it all year long, especially in December. You know what adults look forward to? When Christmas is over. When the gifts can stop being bought and you pick up all the wrapping paper, take down the tree, and you kind of look like Santa there on the 26th. Christmas being over is kind of a nice little surprise for adults. Here's number four. 
kind of going along to the lines of one we already mentioned, but kids hate this. This is the worst part of the day for kids. It is bedtime. But adults, that's when they come alive, right? You put the kid down. I like the picture, too, because look at the kid's face. Can you see the kid's face? He's in terror, and the, kid, and the, the adults are loving life, going, it's finally bedtime. Put him down. Here's number three, which is very specific to me, because I'm going to share with you in a little bit why my kids hate this, but Columbo. Um, every now and then, we will watch something as a family, and I always ask my children, who wants to watch Columbo? And guess who raises her hand? Nobody. Nobody. Except Daddy. But then we watch Columbo because Daddy has the remote. Kids do not look forward to Columbo. I don't think they ever will because Columbo is really, really old. Maybe you guys don't even like Columbo, but I do. I like Columbo, so that's all that matters. Here's number two. This one's a little weird, but um, again, if you have a lot of kids and your life is really, really busy, something you used to hate as a child, you now look forward to, it's time in the bathroom. It's now a little bit of a vacation, you know? If you see me gather stuff like my computer and my tablet and uh, several books and go into the bathroom, it's, it's like I'm on the beach. Losing the restroom. Back in the day, it was like, how fast can I get in and out of that room? And now it's like, how long can I stay in that room? I'm just teasing. Here's number one, which kids really hate, going back to Christmas. It's getting underwear or clothes for Christmas. Kids hate that. I've, I've learned that. I used to be that kid. Don't give me a present if it's clothes, because then it's not a present. But now, if I get underwear or clothes for a Christmas present, man, I'm high-fiving people. Life is fantastic. And so it's interesting how things change, right, over the course of life. Top ten things adults look forward to that kids hate. Well, we're going to talk about something today that we should all be looking forward to. And we're going to find this in a very interesting passage here in John 16. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump right into the middle of a conversation. Okay, now your Bible might have the segmented paragraphs, so this might make sense as you look down in your text, but we are vaulting right into the middle of a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. So join me in John 16, and we'll pick up the reading in verse 16. Jesus says this, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us, A little while, and you will not see me? And again, in a little while, you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you were asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Today's lesson we're calling Lurking Joy, Lurking Joy. I don't have to tell you that the world we live in is broken, do I? Just look around. Pay attention. Look around this culture that we live in, your neighborhood, your very neighborhood. Look at the media reports. Our world is broken. And because this world that we live in is also our current home, we are often frustrated by the fact that we live in a broken world. We want things to be better, right? We want it to be better here. But things seem to be getting worse. 
And every year we live on this sin-cursed world, we suffer more and more, and we lose more and more hope and joy. And it's very frustrating to live here in this broken world. But here we sit on another Sunday, another week of our lives, and things are seemingly normal to us. But if we were all honest, and I really polled the audience, we would all attest that we're hurting a little bit. We're a little bit lonely. We're a little bit frustrated. We're a little bit anxious, and we're flat-out exhausted. And this seems backwards to us, or it should. Because we know we should have more joy than that. Our sins are forgiven, are they not? We just read about it from Ephesians. We're saved from Satan's control. We're on the path to heaven, and we're in a loving, eternal covenant relationship with the Almighty God. Isn't there much to rejoice about? But here we are, struggling on a broken world. Thankfully, Jesus is going to help change our perspective today because we're not the only ones to feel this way. We're not the first ones to feel this way. The disciples felt this way, and so did Jesus. Jesus also felt the way we're feeling today. And just like Jesus is for us, He also was the disciples' good shepherd. He knew what lie ahead for the disciples, and he was going to be crucified. And that once he rose from the grave, he was going to to depart from this world for many, many years. And Jesus knew this was going to be hard for his disciples to receive and process. So he wanted to prepare this in their minds as much as possible. And so this is what Jesus is seeking to do in this passage, prepare his disciples for what's to come. So in verse 16, Jesus used the language of someone would use if they were going somewhere. Now when I leave the house, which sometimes I do, often I do, every week I do, I leave the house to some degree, I will typically always say the same thing to my family. I will say something like, I love you guys. Help mommy while I'm gone. I'll be back in a little while. Don't make messes, right? Always the same kind of thing comes out of daddy's mouth. And those words let my family know that I'm going away for a time And to prepare to be without their dad and their husband for a little while. But I have every intention of returning to the house and to be with them soon. But notice what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Does that sound cryptic to you? That doesn't sound strange to us today because we know what he's talking about. We have the full picture. We know what was going to happen with Jesus Christ. But imagine being the disciples at that moment and hearing that phrase come out of Jesus' mouth. You had just left him to follow him with your entire lives. And you were expecting him to set up his kingdom soon and to reveal his plan for ultimate victory over evil and to reign forever with his people. Imagine the expectation of how good things were going to get very, very soon for the disciples. And then one day Jesus turns to you and says, I'm going away but you will see me again. What would your response be to them? And right after he says this, a little confusion and discussion breaks out amongst the disciples because they have no idea what he's talking about. So this, in verse 17, is is the response from the disciples. It says, so some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Now, Jesus was not a person who randomly said things, okay? 
Random things did not come out of Jesus' mouth. Everything Jesus spoke had a purpose to it. It was always profound and always significant, even if you didn't understand it. So obviously the disciples know this means something important. But they have no clue what he's talking about. And Jesus is right there in the room with them while this happens. So he can either hear them discussing these things out loud, or he simply knew their thoughts. And Jesus realized they were utterly confused by his statement. I mean, even to my ears, that phrase sounds a little cryptic. A little while and you will not see me, and again, in a little while you will see me. What if I said that to my family? Family, after a little while, you will not see me any longer. And then you will see me. Would that sound a little weird, Haddon? Imagine the looks I would get from my wife and my children if that's what I said to them on the way out of the door. A little while, you will not see me any longer, and then you will see me. Sounds like a magician a little bit. (laughs) They might start to wonder what was in my coffee that morning, or perhaps if I took a spill down the stairs and bumped my head, because who talks like that? I typically say something like this, I have to go to the office, I'll see you guys later tonight. And that would make sense to my family. They would know where I was going and that they would expect to see me later on that evening. But the disciples were confused by Jesus' words. How could they possibly come to the conclusion of what Jesus meant, that he would be crucified? That he would rise from the grave on the third day following that, and then several days later he would ascend back to heaven and then send them the ministry of the Holy Spirit there at Pentecost? How could they get all of that from that one phrase? And Jesus continues in verse 19. He says this, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Why is Jesus asking what he already knows? It's clear to anyone in that room the disciples are not on the same wavelength that Jesus is. And Jesus has a couple options here. He can teach them the letter of the law as what every word meant by his little phrase. Or he could teach them the spirit of what he was trying to say. And so Jesus chooses the latter. And this is what he says in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But then... When she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Now here we discover an interesting strategy by our Lord Jesus. He clearly knows they don't understand what he's saying and telling them. But he knows they're listening. He knows they're paying attention. And he knows that if they understand, they will take what he's saying, they will tuck it away in their pockets, and use it at a later time. And I believe this is the strategy of Jesus, not necessarily to tell them everything he means by that phrase right now, but for them to take what he's saying and to tuck it away for later usage. This is often a similar strategy that pastors and preachers will use. Did you know that? About their people. Now, we know we're not that dumb. Pastors are a little bit dumb, but we're not that dumb. We do not believe that you will remember everything you hear from our sermons. Neither do your professors, okay? Your professors do not believe that they will, you will remember everything you t- teach them. 
And you may not even keep 10% of what they say in your minds. So are we wasting our time then by preaching and teaching what will likely not be remembered by the people we're teaching it to? Is preaching not important if we don't remember the very words that the pastor said? And I'm going to quote my, my dad here. Many of you remember my dad once said this, or said this several times. He said this phrase before. He said, preaching is not important because we remember everything we hear. It's important because God uses it to change people's lives. What Jesus is doing today in this passage was changing the disciples' lives, but they didn't know it. Because one day this would all make sense. And they would remember what he said, and then they would use that at the, the, pop, at the opportune time. So it's possible the disciples heard Jesus and spent a good part of the rest of the night trying to decipher what he meant. But it's also possible it went right over their heads and they didn't understand any of it and they didn't even try. But rest assured, the disciples would benefit greatly from what Jesus just told them down the road at some point in their lives because Jesus' words were prophetic. They would come true more than the disciples could have ever imagined. And there's another reason Jesus said what he said for our benefit. He said what he said in John 16 for you and for me. Jesus knew it would be recorded and written down in Scripture. And that Scripture would eventually make its way to us right here today. And when it did, we would be able to team that phrase with the full picture we know of what happened to Jesus Christ. And even though it may have gone over the disciples' heads, it would go directly into our hearts. And so before we close today, I want to consider what Jesus said and what he meant by the remainder of the phrase. He said in verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. If this was prophetic, and it was, then what Jesus said to the disciples is now being fulfilled in our day. This is happening right now. This prophecy is being fulfilled right now, 2022, here in our day. Jesus said that we will weep and lament. Are those words you use commonly? The word weep means to mourn. To mourn. I have recently mourned. So has my entire family at my dad's passing. We have mourned. We have wept. Probably more than I ever remember. So that's also true in my life, at least. The word lament means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Pastors often lament over their church's lack of growth. Ministry leaders often lament because ministry is hard. I, personally, over these last several weeks, have wept and lamented. So at least in my life, this is true, and maybe it is yours as well. Now, we as Christ followers, I believe even generally speaking, will all weep and lament at some point in our lives, all while the world rejoices. Isn't that interesting? We are weeping and sorrowing. The world is rejoicing. How come? Why? Doesn't that seem backwards to you? We are the ones with forgiveness. We are. We are the ones with the eternal life and eternal covenant relationship with our Lord and God. We are the ones with heaven waiting for us. Yet we are the ones weeping and lamenting, and the world is the one rejoicing. Does that seem backwards to you? In all reality, the world, unless it turns to Jesus for salvation, does not have heaven to look forward to, do they? 
And since there is no confidence of joy and peace ahead of them, guess what happens? They have to try to get their heaven now because they have no heaven to look forward to. They have to strive to attain peace and joy in the world today because there might not be a tomorrow for the world. This means the only heaven many people will experience in our life right now is what this world can offer them today, and that's it. Isn't that a sad and tragic thought? And since the world is our heaven, they're trying to get as much joy, happiness, and security as they could possibly find in the world. And because of that, many are rejoicing right now, today, in their current paradise. Now, not all of the world is rejoicing, of course, because this world is a sin-stained, broken place. And it's not designed to be everybody's heaven or anyone's heaven. Plus, the world does not have unlimited resources. Once the world runs out of money and attractive people and dream jobs, some people are left out in the cold. Some people will get them and others will not. And sadly, even those who get those desires from the earth, they will be disappointed one day when it all turns into nothing. And that's simply the reality of the world and its desires. But right now, today at least, they're rejoicing because they can have their joy and their peace and their security today, right now, in their laps, in their hands. And some of these people we watch on TV, and to some degree we envy them. They're rich. They're powerful. They're attractive. They have their dream job. I mean, if you follow sports, Tom Brady just retired. Tom Brady has a lot of power, a lot of money, a lot of fame. He has the dream job, or the dream life that everybody wants. And Tom Brady, for now, is rejoicing. I don't know the state of his spiritual soul, but right now I believe Tom Brady has a pretty good life. And then there's the Christians. We have an abundance of joy and peace waiting for us on the other side. Blessings that are going to blow our minds once we attain them. And unlike the world, we do have heaven to look forward to. Our heaven is real. Our heaven is glorified. And the resources of heaven will never, ever run out. We also have no hell destined for us. For those who faithfully and obediently follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we will never experience hell one single hour. Aren't you thankful for that? Not one hour. This means that the only suffering we are, we are going to encounter is here upon the earth. Our version of hell is today, right now. Because our eternal kingdom of God in heaven and our home is waiting for us on the other side. But we're not there yet, are we? except for my dad, Pastor Mel, and many others who have passed on before us who followed the Lord Jesus. They are experiencing eternal joy and happiness today. But the rest of us are here on a broken, sin-cursed world, our version of hell, and we're suffering to some degree. But because we have heaven to look forward to, the Lord has taught us a few things. He's taught us to not chase the desires of this world. Do you remember what he said in Colossians 3, 1-4? Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He said in 1 John 2, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. In Matthew 6, 19 to 24, he said, Do not 
Lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Why, Jesus? Because the desires of this world are not real treasures, not real joy. They're fake. They're feign. They're fool's gold. They're fleeting treasures, fleeting pleasures, fleeting happiness. You can have them for a while, and then they'll be taken from you. And instead of chasing what is fleeting and temporary, we are now walking the narrow, difficult path that leads to eternal life. That's the reality. The world is rejoicing. We're on the narrow, difficult path. It's sorrow, it's sadness, it's suffering, but it's leading to the kingdom of God. And make no mistake about it, the Christian path of following Jesus truly is narrow. And it truly is difficult. And if you've walked it for any amount of time, you know that to be true. When I started following the Lord Jesus Christ, my life got harder. My friends were less. My enemies were more. And we should know this by now. Now, yes, we have unfathomable treasures and pleasures waiting for us in heaven, but right now, we, what are we doing? We're weeping. We're suffering, we're mourning, and we're lamenting. Because following Jesus brings pain, sorrow, and loneliness on this earth. And even Jesus, and I'll say it this way, especially Jesus, experienced this pain, this sorrow, and this loneliness. How do we know that? Isaiah 53, it's a prophecy about our Lord Jesus, but it came true. Boy, did it come true. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Does it sound like Jesus was rejoicing or lamenting? Our Lord, our Captain, our Shepherd, and our Savior faced more pain, more sorrow, more loneliness than anyone ever has. And it was simply because he was a godly man in a sin-stained place that hated righteousness. And number two, he came to pay for our sins. If you keep going in the passage, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. Perhaps God cut him off. Maybe It was Jesus' fault that he got that way. Smitten by God and afflicted. And the writer corrects us. No, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus sorrowed because of our sins. Jesus sorrowed because of our bad choices, not his own. And at this time, the disciples don't understand what lies ahead for Jesus. What lies ahead for them? As they're going to strive to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. But one day, they would realize that Jesus' words were prophetic. And were actually given to them to help them bear up underneath the suffering. Jesus says, you will weep. And you will lament. All while the world rejoices. And it will not be easy. And aren't you thankful for for buts in scripture? Your sorrow will one day turn into joy. And the world's joy will turn into sorrow. Because one day soon, everything is going to flip. 
Did you know that? I'm going to use a little bit of an illustration. Paul and Mandy let me borrow their globe. Okay, here's a globe. This globe's pretty cool, by the way. Pretty, pretty old school looking. Okay, now I want you to picture this world. Okay, now don't think too literally here. Just this is an illustration. If this is the world that we live on, okay, the rich and the famous and the powerful are at the top. Not literally, okay, not in uh, the North Pole there, but they're at the top of society. They're at the top. They're living their best life now. Everything is fun and exciting. They can get all their pleasures and joy and happiness now. While the Christians are down here suffering, lamenting, mourning, and weeping. And it seems backwards because it is backwards. We're in a sin-cursed, broken world. And if that was the end of things, then it would be the most pitiable thing to be a Christian. Because look where you are while the world is up here. And Jesus says that's exactly what's happening right now. You're weeping, you're mourning, and you're lamenting while the world rejoices. But guess what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? It's going to flip. It's going to flip. And once it flips, it flips for eternity. And everyone who was at the bottom is now at the top. And everyone who was at the top is now at the bottom. And it stays that way for the rest of eternity. So Jesus says right now, you're sorrowing, you're lamenting, you're mourning, you're weeping. Things are hard. You're suffering. But one day your sorrow will turn into joy. And your joy will never be taken from you. Those at the top of this world in terms of joy, riches, and power are one day soon going to find themselves at the bottom with no joy, no riches, and no power. And those who are suffering for Jesus right now are going to find themselves at the top one day soon and forever. Once the world flips, we will never experience pain, loneliness, and sorrow ever again. So Jesus uses his own metaphor to help understand, help us understand what he's talking about. He's going to talk about pregnancy and labor because it's a good metaphor. And Jesus was the master at metaphors and illustrations, okay? Now, I have learned the hard way, men... That it is a cardinal sin to speak with any confidence like I know what labor pains are like. <laughs> I've learned the hard way. F follow my example. Don't go down that road, okay? Because I clearly do not understand what labor pains are like. So I'm not going to fall into that trap again today. But Jesus can speak with great accuracy on the matter because he's the Lord of the universe. And he knows everything. And unlike me, Jesus cannot find himself in the doghouse for speaking about pain that I will never understand. But the metaphor from Jesus is a good one. In labor and pain, excuse me, in labor and birth, there is suffering and anguish for a time. And then the baby arrives. And the focus shifts from pain to pleasure. And my wife could validate this. She has told me this is true. And Jesus says this is exactly what's going to happen for those suffering for him on this earth. One day the suffering will cease and the newborn baby will be born. But in this metaphor, the newborn baby for us is heaven. All its joys, all its wonders, the glory of seeing our Lord face to face. One day these amazing blessings will arrive and the suffering will be over and it will be over for good. The weeping will cease, the mourning will cease, the joy and laughter and the peace will begin and it will never end. Now, I have never faced the pain of childbirth, and I'm thankful for that. I'm sorry to my wife. 
but I've never faced the pain of childbirth. But I have experienced the joy of having seven beautiful new babies in my arms once they've been born. Seeing them face to face, holding them next to my arm and next to my face. And the joy of doing that is, is incredibly rich and deep. It's so real, it almost makes me tear up. When I hold that new baby for the first time, the amount of joy that comes to my heart is real, tangible joy because the baby is here. And Jesus tells us that real, lasting joy, the joy of the Lord. Look at that family. Look at those pic- Look at those smiles, by the way. Does that look genuine to anybody? Except for Janine. Janine's is genuine. But the reality of holding seven new babies in your arms is real, tangible joy. Jesus tells us that real, lasting joy is right around the corner. It's lurking around the corner, waiting for us. Real, lasting joy. Yes, right now we weep. Believe me, we are weeping now. My family has wept and wept for many weeks. We're mourning and we're weeping for many reasons upon this earth. Following Jesus brings about many difficulties, does it not? But right behind the curtain, right behind the corner, there is joy lurking for us. And one day soon, that curtain is going to be pulled open and pulled open for good. And the truth of that lurking joy is going to be a game changer for now our current season of suffering. Because why? We have hope. We have hope. The world is rejoicing, but they have no hope. Tomorrow, everything could be taken from them. Us, on the contrary, we are waiting for our best life. It's not here yet, but it is right around the corner. If we weep and mourn without hope, then the weeping in the morning will envelop our lives to the point of depression and torment. We can't handle long-term, lasting weeping and mourning. It can't be that long-term or we will become depressed. But if the weeping and mourning is temporary like labor pains, then not only can we endure it, we are so anticipating the birth of heaven that we push and struggle in hopes of that day one day coming soon. And we can now endure the temporary pain. And that's what Jesus is saying. You can endure this. Because the, the joy is right around the corner. And even though the disciples could not have known what Jesus meant by his words, you and I can. We could appreciate John 16 in a way that disciples never could. Because Jesus himself proved this passage with his own life and death. Now Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's what Isaiah says. Jesus suffered. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was mocked, blasphemed, ridiculed, denied, betrayed, falsely accused, spit upon, struck, tortured, and crucified. And if that was the end of the story, then Christians should be the most pitied people upon the face of the earth. Is that true? But three days later, Jesus arose from the grave, and many days later from that, he ascended back to heaven and sat down on the throne of God reserved for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to receive glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. And Jesus is the one telling us today, keep going. Keep pushing. Keep enduring. Keep suffering for my sake because the pain is almost over and the eternal joy is lurking, waiting to be revealed. The flip is almost here. 
And one day soon, I will reveal that joy to you, and it will never be taken away from you ever, ever again. So also, you will have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. If Jesus' words are prophetic, and they are, it's coming true. And if it's coming true, and you are following him, then what should we do based on what he just told us? Three things. Give your life to that Jesus. Give your life to that Jesus. He is the eternal joy giver. He has it. He owns it. He holds it. And he wants to give it to you. But you must line up behind him. You must go the narrow, difficult path that he went to experience the joy that he now has. Give your life to Jesus. You cannot find lasting, lingering, eternal joy in the world anywhere to be found. Number two, follow him into the end. Follow him faithfully and obediently until the flip happens, until the curtain is pulled open. Follow him until the end faithfully. Don't give up. Don't give up in the midst of COVID. Don't give up in the midst of a church possibly losing some members and going through some hard things. Keep going. It is going to last. I'm sorry, it's not going to last. And the one day the joy is going to be revealed. God's Christ path leads to lurking eternal joy. And Christ is telling us, as a promise, it's going to happen. Number three, endure. Whatever you're going through right now, I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, I know you're probably weeping and lamenting to some degree, but keep going the same way Jesus went. And one day soon, his joy will be your joy. And your joy will be forever. And as David said in Psalm 23, your cup will overflow because of the lurking, lasting joy of Jesus. Guys, it's all in Jesus. It's all in Jesus. There is no other Savior. There is no other Shepherd. There is no other God. It is all Jesus Christ. Make absolutely sure that you're following him today and don't quit. Go on for the Lord and, Lord, and go on for the lurking, lasting joy that is about to be revealed. Guys, it could be as soon as today. It could be as soon as tomorrow. Keep going. Follow your Lord until the end. Let's bow and pray. Father, thank you for this message today. I'm guessing that we need this today. Life has been hard. It is hard. Right now, we're all searching for something greater and better. And Father, you've reminded us once again, don't look to the left or to the right. Keep looking to Jesus. He is the eternal joy giver. Yes, we must suffer. It is part of our journey. It is part of shaping who we must be. But right now, we are simply following our captain and our shepherd to home where joy and peace and security will last for all eternity. Father, I just pray right now that you'd help us go on. If there is someone in this room who has not given their life to Jesus, that today would be the day. They would stop looking around to this world for things they cannot offer, and they would say to the joy giver, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you and your plan. I want the lurking, lasting joy, but only, only in Jesus. Father, I pray for those of us who are on the narrow, difficult path, and we're looking around going, is this it? Is this how it's going to end for us? 
Help us to remember that it's not. That one day the flip is coming. And when it comes, it comes abruptly and it lasts for the rest of eternity. Father, help us to have the legs and the confidence to keep going, following our Lord and our Captain, remembering that he is one day going to reveal himself and our joy will never be taken away from us. We thank you and we give you all honor, praise, and glory for this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.